It's the Bible, Bourbons, and Brews show with your host, Jason Candler. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Bible, Bourbons, and Brews to see what we're drinking this week. Each week, we study a different chapter of the Bible while showcasing a new bourbon, craft brew, or hard cider. Have a question, comment, or just want to collaborate with us? Then drop us a line at BibleBourbonsBrews at gmail.com. What's up, Brew Brothers and Sisters? Jason Candler here, your host for Bible, Bourbons, and Brews. Another week in the books, another week in the book. I hope you guys had a great week this past week. I know I did. This week, episode 75, and we actually have a special treat this week. We're going to be talking John chapter 19 and Jesus' crucifixion, and we're actually on location. You can probably hear uh, the ambient noise here. Is Mellow Fellow Pub in Reno, and we're joined by owner Ryan Eller. Hi, guys. How are we doing today? <laughs> thanks, for, thanks for joining us, Ryan. Um, so let's just go ahead and jump right into this here. Um, we're sitting in this awesome venue. It's right across from the Aces Ballpark uh, here in Reno, Nevada. And if you follow us on Instagram, at Bible Bourbons and Brews, we'll be posting a lot of pictures just of the facility here, the different beers that they have. They have over 40 beers on tap. And we'll get into the different types of beers that we're going to be sampling today. Uh, but Ryan, first, what made you fall in love with beer? Well, I'd say for me, uh, beer was always something that brought people together, uh, encourages conversation, gets people out of their comfort zone, uh, and when I first started drinking beer, of course, I was probably a little bit too young, uh, but over the course of time, uh, we went from drinking things like Natty Ice and things of that sort uh, to Belgian styles, and, and Belgians is what really was my transition to craft beer, uh, where they were different uh, flavor profiles than what I was traditionally used to, and opened up my palate a little bit, uh, and then probably in the early 2000s, late 90s, you really started to see some of the hoppy beers, some IPAs, things like that hitting the scene, and uh, it really just piqued my interest as far as being able to try different things from all over the country. And so when I had the opportunity to move out to the Reno Tahoe area, number one thing I wanted to do was open a craft beer bar. And so I started that my first location up in Crystal Bay, uh, just on the state line on the north side of Lake Tahoe, and we put 40 beers on draft up there. People thought we were crazy, because I think the, the best beer you could get anywhere was Sierra Nevada a pale, great white, uh, sure. maybe a few others, but it was yeah. pretty much the same lineup every place you went to, right? Yeah. Um, so we put in 40 rotating handles up there, which, uh, you know, created a little bit of a stir, I think, at the time, especially among the distributor community, having to bring all these new beers up to Tahoe. Uh, but we really wanted to encourage people to get together and talk. You know, we, we when we started, we didn't have a TV in the location. We had cornhole outside. We had board games. We had tables. And it was all about having a beer and getting to know somebody a little bit better than you knew them before. And so that was really the focus of the business. Over time, you know, unfortunately, uh, people demand to watch sports events and things of that sort, so TVs came later. Uh, sure. But uh, things have evolved a lot from the beginning, but I would say, you know, to start, it, it was all about getting people together and, and opening your minds and, and having conversations you might not normally be comfortable having. And what, and what doesn't open your mind more than alcohol? I mean, let's just be honest, right? <laughs> they, they say it's like truth serum. So whether it's beer or whiskey or bourbon or whatever it is, it's like truth serum. And it, and it does lead to good conversations and stuff. So you said you had 40 taps at your other location. I know you guys have 40 taps here. Are they rotating here? You guys had them rotating before. Are they still rotating in this location? Yeah, absolutely. All, all the beers rotate here and I think um, you know that's really due to the amount of beers that are available, the amount of styles that are available, uh, the seasonality of flavor profiles, uh, things of that.
that sort, right? So, you know, we always have similar styles, um, sure. but, you know, as I started, trying different beers was one of the reasons that you get excited about it. And so, yeah. you know, if you come in and we have the same 40 beers all the time, you know, what's your real it's kind reason? Of exactly, right? Exactly. So the exciting thing, and, and I think some of this has faded a little bit over the years um, for folks, but, you know, especially at the beginning, you look at people who have their untapped account and, and you're checking in beers and you, yes. you've, you've tried yes, that, you've absolutely. tried this. And, and I think, you know, making sure the beers rotate really gives people that, you know, hey, I came in and I, I still like IPAs, but do you have something different than what I tried last time? And I think craft beer essentially is a little bit of a treasure hunt for people sometimes. And, and it's nice when you can occasionally provide that nugget. Absolutely. And you have, you have breweries that will do seasonal releases or once a year releases or things like that. And people wait with bated breath for those releases, you know, and or they collect them. Like I have, I think I have a 2016 Abyss, uh, you know, in my fridge at home. And then uh, one of my buddies brought a rusty nail from like 2017 or something. You know, it's like they become collector's items. And, and the, just like the craft beer scene, like you're saying, is trying to find the little, the hard to come by ones. Absolutely. You know, yeah, that's that's absolutely the case, almost. right? And I think yeah. a lot of people don't realize, too, that, you know, beer beer ages, you know, just like wine in many cases, right? I mean, but there's also cases where it ages like milk. You know, if you get as an IPA. As, take, as long as you take care of it. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You know, if you, if you get an IPA, drink that the day you get it, right? Yes. You know, but if you've got a, a, a big barrel-aged stout, you know, if you've got a, a barrel-aged sour or something of that sort, you know, those beers can, can last, you know, ages. I mean, even here we have a, a cellar, you know, that we cultivated over the first five years we've been in business where we, you know, got beers that were either, you know, that year but didn't release them for a few years or we got older beers and, and now we sell them. So, I mean, we have, you know, a selection of Avery Sours that are eight years old and, wow. and they've never been drinking better, right? Yeah. Um, so it all depends on the style of beer and, and you know, sometimes you might get a lemon, you know, it's, it's a bit of a gamble. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, I think for the most part, once you've done it enough, you, you start to realize what you can age and what you can't and, and that just creates something really cool down the road. I think the things too, like with social media and untapped and things like that, it's really helped people explore um, outside of like their regular comfort zones, I would say. And then again, it comes back to the having that conversation. So it's like, we're going to try a white stout here right. in just a minute. And I've never had a white stout before. And so I'm, not, I'm excited to try it. You guys on your website, on your Instagram page uh, here, you guys always have great specials, food specials and stuff like that. You guys do donuts and beer pairings, which I've been to one before and it was a great time. Awesome donuts and stuff. So tell me a little bit about some of the events that you guys have. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, obviously before COVID we had plenty more than we do now. It's, it's right. become a little bit more difficult to, to pack a lot of people in here, but we've tried to bring back what we could because again, I mean, we're trying to get people together here, you know, yep. and I think that's the whole point. I mean, food has taken, uh, you know, a bigger, uh, more of a driver's seat in our business now than it ever has, uh, which is not a bad thing at all, uh, especially when you look at how beer pairs with food. Um, but, you know, along those lines, we started the beer and donut pairing a little over a year ago with Holy Schmidt Donuts here in town. Uh, and, and these guys make donuts just like, um, you know, the folks up in Portland, uh, Voodoo, Voodoo Donuts, right? Yeah. And yeah. so those guys, um, you know, have such a nice 
portfolio of options as far as flavors. So they create three different donuts for us every single or every other Tuesday, um, and then we pair them with different beers based on the flavor profiles that we think works. Um, you know, not everybody tastes everything the same way. So some people are like, I didn't right. love this one, but but yeah. most of the time, you know, we at least get in the realm where, where, where people enjoy it, and it, and it's just a neat it's a neat way to try something. I mean, it might be a little bit of sugar overload <laughs> at times, um, but but people really enjoy it because it's something out of the box and it's something different. Um, you know, we do uh, we do brunch on Sundays, and we added the component of trivia because at the end of the day, most of the folks who are going to brunch. You know, you're looking for activities, and again, this is you know what can you do while you're drinking that that isn't completely drinking focused, right? Sure. Um, so you're going to sit down with friends, you're going to have a good time, throw in a little trivia, bring bring a few extra people you might not normally you know chat with as often, meet some new folks. You yeah. know, that's really what we're trying to do through these events, and then you know things like Taco Tuesday, which we do on the every other Tuesday that we don't do uh, beer and donuts. You know, that's just a fun thing for our chef, and we really want you know our kitchen guys to have as much freedom and flexibility in being able to be creative as some of the brewers do when they're making brand new beers, right? Oh, so yeah. any of these guys, to some degree, are some type of artist in their own mind, and you got to let an artist paint, otherwise he gets bored. <laughs> <laughs> and I've I've been here a couple times and had some of the tacos. So what were the ones that we had that had last time that I was here? Let's see. I think last time like, you were here, we did uh, chorizo. We did pineapple uh, salsa or something. Yeah, wasn't it? absolutely. Yeah, we might have done a, a fish taco with pineapple salsa. I, I, you know, it, every week it changes. This past yeah. week we did uh, uh, chicken tinga and carne asada, oh, um, nice. and we make them traditional street taco style. Uh, yes. You know, white onion, cilantro, you know, seasoned meat, and then uh, side of house salsa. And, and Miguel whips up a great salsa here. Um, but uh, you know, they're two bucks a piece, and you know, you kind of have as many as you want. And you know, usually people start with a couple, have a couple beers, have a couple more. Yep. Yep. You know, I think the, the beer to taco ratio is pretty even. I think so. So you guys have Taco Tuesday every other Tuesday, donuts and beer pairings the, on the other Tuesdays, and then brunch trivia. That is that every Sunday? Every, uh, no. So brunch trivia is once a month. Okay. Um, but we do do brunch every Sunday. So okay. we just do the trivia once a month as far as the event goes from that perspective. Um, but uh, we definitely do the brunch every Sunday starting at 10 a.m. And then something new that we're going to start, I think, next week. I'm not sure if anybody's ever heard of putterball. Uh, but putterball no. is essentially like beer pong with putters and, and golf balls. Oh, nice. So it's a double-ended uh, putting mat with six holes shaped like the beer pong pyramid. Okay. And okay. as you make a putt, you plug the hole, and the first team to make all six putts wins, right? So, okay. you know, yet to be determined how we're going to factor the drinking side into that. <laughs> um, but there'll definitely be prizes, and it'll be two-man teams that, that compete in kind of a bracket-style tournament. But, you know, it's something where you're more than six feet apart, so even with the COVID rules, we can do the social distancing, sure. bring your own putter, and, and, and keep everything sanitary. But nice. Um, you know, I think that'll be a fun thing because I've, you know, a lot of folks, we used to do cornhole a lot, but we don't yeah. really have the facility and the space here to do cornhole. So this creates that more, you know, again, kind of interactive drinking experience where you're not just sitting down drinking, right? Right. Yeah. Because it's, like you said, you're having a conversation, you're having a beer, but it gives you something to do also. Uh, so out of the different events that you guys do, which one's like your favorite one? Uh, my favorite one's still beer and donuts. Even though it's a year old, I still love that event. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for the day that we can really do some fun tap takeovers again because those are always good when you get uh, a brewery in here that can bring some really unique beers you know that people yeah. haven't had a chance to try but um, you know given the volume restrictions and and what some of the breweries have gone through those have been difficult in the short term but you know when things get a little more back to normal I'm, I'm looking forward to being able to do some of those because those everybody enjoys right and, and not even just me personally it's really nice 
when when you get to come in and, and try those things that normally you'd have to travel to try. Yeah, and, exactly. and anytime you can bring San Diego to Reno or bring New York to Reno, people people enjoy that. Or even Vegas to Reno, like sure, Abel right? Baker and those guys. Absolutely, know? absolutely. And we've had a good relationship with Abel, Abel Baker from the beginning, so you know that's been nice where we've been able to get a lot of their specialty beers up here for people to try. Nice. Um, but you know now that they have their own tap room down there, it's even difficult to do that sometimes. So yeah. you know everybody's business changes over time, and I know everybody's making adjustments right now to, to survive and and sure. uh, happy to see that, that a lot of them still are. All right, so you mentioned COVID. You know, we've talked about that. We, you know, before we were recording, we were, you know, discussing a little bit just the significant impact that it's had on small businesses like you guys. So you mentioned to me not being able to get 40 different types of beers because of the di distribution and stuff due to COVID. So talk a little bit about that and how it's kind of affected you guys with the quote-unquote new normal. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, specifically, you know, for us, especially when you look at just location-driven, obviously we're right across the street from the ballpark. So, you know, typically we count on having from April through October pretty heavy events next door, which don't happen. And then a tons lot of, of folks... Tons of foot traffic, Exactly, right? yeah. from baseball and soccer and whatnot. Sure. Um, and then, you know, a lot of the, the downtown traffic comes from people going to work and and not so many people are going to work anymore and right. you know I, I don't see as many people you know getting ready to taking a shower you know getting out of their pajamas just so they can uh, come out to lunch so you know at the end of the day um, you know we've had good support from the local community which is great and, and I know everybody's trying to you know spread their love around town yep. you know to keep their yep. favorite places open so we certainly appreciate the portion of that that we've gotten you know but from a logistical standpoint you know for the most part you, you know you have to walk in you wear a mask when you walk in but as soon as you sit down you take your mask off so sure. from a from a customer's perspective, it's really not that onerous. You know, from a staff perspective, we wear masks all the time. You know, do I love it? Of course not. You know, but right. do we do it? Yes, we do. Right. Of course. And um, you know, it, it, it's it's not that big of a hurdle for us. I think the biggest hurdles really are you know one the volume restrictions and and spacing requirements because that really does keep us from doing some of the tap takeovers and bigger events and right. and, and filling the place up the way we'd like to. Um, but but more from a customer's perspective, what's been difficult is is getting access to the number of beers we used to be able to have access to. You know, not only did we see an impact here at the restaurant, but, you know, bars, they were closed down much longer than we were. And yes. most restaurants aren't pouring 40 beers on draft. You yeah. know, you got to go to places like Beer Envy, places like um, Final Draft, things like that to find yeah. big tap selections. And a lot of those guys couldn't open, um, you know, at all. And so the distributors, you know, and this is where the kind of the, the three-tier system, everybody got affected because the restaurants and the bars were affected where the distributors didn't want to bring in as many products because they knew they wouldn't be able to sell them. The breweries couldn't sell them to the distributors, so they stopped making them. Or in some cases, the breweries were shut down from production right. and weren't allowed to make anything, depending on what state or city or county they were in. Yeah. And so there really became a shortage of beer to be able to get all the unique styles that you'd normally like to get. And you know, so now we're starting to see things open up a little bit. But what we saw mainly is that a lot of people were canning and bottling more of their stuff because retail locations never really closed. Sure. So you could always push your stuff through a bottle shop. Um, through a, a grocery store, Costco, things like that. Right. So we saw instead of having inventory on draft, a lot of these distributors were bringing in more inventory in, in cans and bottles. And so, um, you know, I, I won't name names, but there's a distributor in town who has probably 20 different breweries. And last week I went to order and they only had eight different beers available on draft. There were wow. 12 of their breweries that didn't have anything available on draft. Yeah. And, and, and this is, it's not unique to one. I mean, it kind of stretches across the board where these guys 
are trying to move their inventory that they have before they bring in new stuff, uncertain about, you know, hey, are we going to get shut down again? Are we going to continue being open? You know, people aren't selling the same amount of beer that they were selling volume-wise. You know, so it's really creating uh, kind of a big channel disruption, you know, from, from start to finish, you know, all along the way. And I think you saw a big shift, too, like you said, away from kegs and more bottles and cans with, like, curbside yeah. to go, the contactless pickup and all Absolutely. that kind of stuff. So I don't know if, like, you guys were doing that stuff here, too. <laughs> yeah, or? we did, you know. So during the shutdown, when we were closed, we did a pre-order program so people could, you know, we, we put out a list and people could order what they wanted off the list and it'd be here available for them, you know, later in the week to pick up. So we definitely, you know, tried to do what we could to facilitate, you know, people getting access to beer. But, you know, at the end of the day, you know, for us, we're not set up as a retail location. You know, we're set up as a restaurant. So, right. you know, what we need to survive are people coming in. You know, it's always great that folks can come grab a beer, take it to go. You know, right. like I mentioned earlier, you know, the seller has some bottles and cans in there that are, you know, ageable that, you know, you're not going to find anywhere else, you know, and some of them don't even exist in production anymore. So, um, you know, there's definitely some neat things about the retail side, but I think, you know, when you look at, you know, most bars and restaurants, you know, they're counting on people coming in, grabbing a bar stool, you know, having a beer, having a conversation, maybe grabbing a meal, depending on the location. Having a few tacos or donuts. Absolutely, right? So, you know, I think bottom line is, you know, are things better than they were? Yeah. You know, could they be worse? They could, sure. but, um, you know, we're really starting to see more people, I think, get comfortable with going out, and it's becoming more of a... You know, and it's experience, right? It's not, I don't, they don't go out every day. You know, you don't have those five day a week regulars. You have those guys who come in once every week, right? Right. Um, and, you know, we, we appreciate everything that those folks do, but, you know, at the end of the day, we want to get back to the way business used to be, which was, you know, hey, every day after work on my way home, I stop by a restaurant or a bar, I have a beer, I have a bite, you know, and I, and I work my way home. And, and, happy and hour. that's just, I mean, yeah, all kinds of stuff. Happy hour just doesn't really exist anymore, you yeah. know? Um, so I, I think bottom line is if we can, you know, get a little bit more uh, capacity, a little less restriction on the, the spacing and the distancing. I mean, shoot, seems like the casinos have it. It'd be nice if we did too, right? Right, absolutely. <laughs> That's for sure. So uh, we were talking a little bit about not being able to get your hands on some of the more uh, difficult beers. Uh, so some of these beers that we're going to sample now, uh, tell us a little bit about these. So, uh, we have a white stout that I've never had before, uh, and then we've got a couple different ones here. If you follow us on Instagram, at Bible Bourbons and Brews, definitely also also follow Mellow Fellow. It's Mellow Fellow Pub. Um, check them out, and then you'll see the behind-the-scenes photos of these different beers that we have here. Almost like a, almost like a Neapolitan here, because we've got this dark stout, we've got a white stout, and then we've got this uh, almost like a raspberry-colored sour. Uh, so, which one should we start with here, Ryan? Man, that's a tough call. Um, I think uh, I always like to finish with sours. Some people like to go the other direction, but I feel like that's such an overwhelming flavor that maybe it's best to go a different direction. Okay. Um, so I'd say let's start with the white stout because that's going to be probably the mildest uh, flavor profile. And typically when you're tasting beers, I think that's the general consensus is you want to start with the most mild flavor and then you want to work your way up to the big flavors go because you're going to overwhelm you know, your taste buds okay. uh, if you go the other direction. So the first one here is going to be the uh, the white Russian uh, white stout. It's on nitro. Uh, okay. So for those folks who maybe aren't familiar with nitro, there's going to be a higher percentage of nitrogen in the pour and it's going to come out creamy. Um, you know, I guess technically taste almost flat. That being said, it's designed that way. So, you right. know, it's done that way on purpose. Um, so it's going to taste a little bit different than if you had CO2 in it. CO2 opens up your taste buds. So this is going to give you just the raw flavor of the beer. Uh, but so the, uh, the white Russian uh, nitro stouts from Left Hand Brewing out of uh, Colorado. Um, 
and when you taste it, it's going to be super smooth. If you close your eyes, you, you might feel like you're drinking a stout, um, but if you open your eyes, it's going to look like you're drinking a Pilsner. So it's a little bit of... Uh, it's a little deceptive. It's, it's completely deceptive, it's deceptive, right? Yeah. All right, so let's give this guy a taste here. So you're going to get a little bit of coffee, a little bit of vanilla. You know, those are kind of the two adjuncts that are in there. Um, and then it's going to hopefully be really smooth. I mean, coffee hits on the nose right away. Definitely strong coffee flavors. And like you said, it's an incredibly smooth mouthfeel. Almost yeah. creamy and texture. There's, and there's a bit of lactose in the beer too, which gives it even a little bit more creaminess on top of the nitrogen. So like a, that's where the white Russian must come from? Exactly. All right. right. Yeah. I feel like I should be watching The Big Lebowski right now, and I'm the dude having a white Russian. All right, this is fantastic. And you said this from Left Hand Brewing? Left Hand Brewing, yep. And what was the name of this one again? Uh, it's a White Russian White Stout. White Russian White Stout. Fantastic beer. All right, let's get into the uh, dark, the traditional stout here. And this one is from Prairie. Which, which one's this one again? Uh, so it's called Screenshot. Screenshot. So Screenshot from these guys comes in at 11%. So it's a big one. Right um, on. And it's, all of Prairie's Imperial Stouts, in my opinion, have a really good mouthfeel. They're really rich. You know, they're big. They're bold. Uh, this one in particular has a hazelnut roasted coffee uh, okay. as the adjuncts in there. So you're going to get, uh, they use that same base stout for a lot of different beers uh, and, and add different things to it. But, you know, everything uh, from, you know, Prairie Bomb and the adjuncts they do with that every year, you know, Prairie really likes to amp up their stouts. And so everything usually comes in over 10%. And like I said, this one's at 11 but you're going to get a little bit of that coffee flavor, a little bit of hazelnut, uh, and it, hopefully it just blows you away as far as the flavors that come out of that thing. On the nose, too, I'm also smelling almost like you know dark cherry or black currant or something. There's something in there almost like a dark fruit flavor. And, and that's really coming from their... Um coming from their malts and coming from the beer itself. Okay. All right. Let's 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 give this guy a taste here. Oh, wow. So the hazelnut really comes through as soon as you sip that. You don't catch it so much on the nose, but as soon as it's in your mouth, you definitely have a punch of strong hazelnut flavor. It is absolutely delicious. Man, that's incredible. It goes down way too easy for being 11%. Yeah, that's a tough one, man. And we serve that one in 10 ounces only for that reason. So everybody Absolutely. has a chance to, you know, kind of have a little bit, make sure they're good, and then have a little bit more. Absolutely. So these are five-ounce glasses that we have here. Yep. And on the, the white stout that I had, I had a couple sips of that. And you can see, like, it's not even halfway. On this one, I'm already, like, down below half. It's so <laughs> good. All right. So, so far, this one's definitely my favorite. Oh, my goodness. All right. And then let's get into this sour here, this raspberry-looking sour. What? Uh, tell me a little bit about this one, Ryan. Yeah, so Hypernova uh, Volume 3. Um, so they've done multiple uh, releases of Hypernova. I think they're potentially up to four right now. Um, but it's a wild ale, and so it's aged uh, traditionally in barrels, right? So on sours, you get a lot of folks now who are making kettle sours, which are basically injected with bacteria to, to speed up the, pro the souring process. And so those you're going to find are very tart. I guess when you look at the different kinds of sours, you're really looking at really tart or kind of funky, right? And this one's right. got a little bit of both because it's going to have wild fermentation. So okay. you get some of that natural bacteria uh, that's hanging out in the beer, and it's not just injected in there to provide one specific flavor. Uh, it kind of does what you want it to do. And so uh, Hypernova has a number of different fruits in it. 
Well, maybe it's because it looks like raspberry, but on the nose, I'm smelling raspberry. Yeah, so what you're getting there is you're getting boysenberries, you're getting black currants, you're mm. getting vanilla beans, and you're getting lactose. Okay. Um, and then it's aged on oak. So you're going to get, you know, your first taste is you're going to get a little bit of that funkiness followed by the tartness, and then all that fruit and lactose flavor follows behind it. As soon as you said oak, I could almost like smell that. As soon yeah. as you said oak. Yeah. It's like and you put it into my brain. Absolutely. And, that is, and that's definitely the difference between that and a kettle sour too, because the kettle sour is going to be aged in steel. So you're not getting any of that barrel flavor, um, right. you know, coming in there at all. You're not getting any subtleties or anything like that. All right, let's give this guy a taste here. Yeah, I'm definitely getting the traditional, like you said, funk that you would get from a sour, but it's not as tart as a traditional sour, and that must be because it's in the oak barrels? Yeah, exactly, and it's the type of uh, bacteria that gets in there that they use, right? If it's wild fermented, they're using whatever bacteria is present in the environment, you know, versus using specifically lactobacillus or, you know, some other kind of uh, bacteria. Sure. It's basically, the bacteria is what creates the sour within the beer. So, you know, right. it, it tastes similar to, if anybody's familiar with Cascade out there, you know, Cascade does pretty much wild fermentation on their end, too. Um, you know, the most famous in the world is the guys um, out of Cantillon, right? And theirs are, you know, typically the highest rated and most sought after. But those guys all do, you know, wild fermentation. Uh, they have open tanks where they're just letting the bacteria from the air around them get in there and yeah. turn it into whatever it turns into. Yeah. You I was know. at Crux Fermentation last year and did a, uh, an episode for the podcast and was talking with the guys up there. And they actually have one where, if I remember correctly, they actually have a starter that they take and they put down by the river and they leave it there to collect just whatever's in the atmosphere. Sure. And then they bring that back and then they have an open air fermentation that's a little more sanitary or whatever than just being outside by the river. But it's kind of the same principle. Absolutely. Just... And, and you can and you cultivate your own bacteria, cultivate your own yeast. I mean, it depends on the brewery, right? Yeah. Um, you know, White Labs is famous for, for kind of doing that for a lot of folks and, and cultivating the yeast profiles and, and, and bacteria profiles that they like. But, um, you know, bottom line is everybody, every brewery does it their own way. And what you see is, you know, the higher end guys have their more unique processes that they keep in-house, right. you know, and some of the more mass-produced guys like to push that stuff out. I'm not saying it's better or worse. Right. You know, it's just a matter of, you know, if you're going down to your local, you know, brewery like, you know, Imbibe here, I mean, those guys are solid and small in town, and they do a lot of wood-age beers, yeah. um, and, and they all come out just a little bit different, and yeah. I think that's the fun of it is, is you never know exactly what you're going to get, and that's which is also why you... collector's items. Totally, and that's why you don't see Hypernova the exact same every single time. You get yeah. one from this year, you get one from next year, you know, they're all going to be just a little bit different, and then it comes down to the blending process and, you know, when they pull the barrel, you know, what, what they mix, you know, together. Um, there's a lot of control the brewers have, and this is earlier where I mentioned they're almost like artists, right? Yeah. You know, and they're putting together this flavor profile that they want based on time, based on space, you know, based on temperature and based on blending. And so each batch is going to be different. And this one you said was the Hypernova. This is number three? Volume three, yeah. Volume three. Mm -hmm. And do they have a release like each year? Uh, you know, I don't know honestly what the timing is on when these come out. It looks like uh, volume four is either just out or coming out. Um, okay. And so they're using stone fruit in that one. Uh, we haven't had that one available to us yet. Okay. Uh, but uh, so far, this is the most recent one we could get our hands on. This one is delicious. And I'm not a big sour guy by any means. Uh, I prefer, you know, IPAs and stuff and Imperials and things like that, but this, for a sour and not being a sour guy, this is a delicious, refreshing, it doesn't have that traditional pucker, sourness, tart, you know, and I think it is because of the oak aging uh, in the barrels and stuff. Ryan, thank you so much for being here today. Uh, so a couple more questions for you. Besides owning your own place here, Mellow Fellow Pub in Reno, 
what would you say is like your biggest beer dream, your ultimate beer dream? Like, you know, going to Oktoberfest and like trying all the beers or like what, what, what's your biggest dream? Yeah. I mean, you know, honestly, Oktoberfest doesn't, doesn't hit far from the head there. Um, you know, I think beer has a very long history as far as, you know, when it was created, how it was made, where it was made. And, and Europe was really a center for a lot of that. Right. So when you look at Oktoberfest and the tradition and, and the experience it would be to go to that, still something I haven't done, but certainly will at some point in my life. Yeah. Um, and then moving over to Belgium where they make different styles of beer, oh, you know, yeah. and, and being able to go, you know, it's, it's a shame because I actually did go to Belgium when I was like 25. I wasn't into craft beer yet. I wasn't oh, really into man. Belgians. And, you know, knowing what I know now, there's no way I wouldn't have been at Cantillon, you know, but I was You're over like, there oh, drinking man. Jupiler and Chimay and, and Duval and, you know, nothing wrong with those beers, but but certainly nothing on the scale of, of, of being in Brussels and, and going to Cantillon. So, you know, I think, you know, kind of the, the European beer experience is something that would be highest on my list, you know, because especially even in Germany, you know, they, they adhere strictly to the purity laws, which, you know, our craft breweries here have completely thrown out the window for better or worse. I think, you know, it's come out a lot better in flavor profiles in certain areas, but there's something to having a traditional German Pilsner or Kolsch, you know, or Dortmunder, and, and you go to every county, and every county in Germany is going to have their style of beer, that that's what they make, uh, and and they, you know, the, the flavor profiles only come from, it's, you know, the malts and the hops and the yeast, and that's there. it, right? Yeah, yeah, it's very segmented. It's yeah. like you only get this type of beer in this specific flavor profile in this specific location. Absolutely. You know, and it all comes from their water and the minerality. It comes from the hops they grow, and, um, you know, at the end of the day, it's a, it's a really unique place to go, uh, go experience beer. All right, so going to Europe, going to Oktoberfest, that would be like your primary, your number one dream. I mean, besides owning your own place here, which is incredible, by the way. And guys, make sure you check them out, mellowfellowpub.com. Follow them on Instagram, at mellowfellowpub. Uh, you can check out the behind-the-scenes photos there, or you can also link over to our uh, Instagram page, at Bible Bourbons and Brews, so make sure you check that out. This week, guys, is we're talking John chapter 19, and it's talked about Jesus' crucifixion, so I don't necessarily want to come down off of, like, talking about beer and being excited about these different flavors that we tried today, and then have just, like, this kind of dark conversation. Uh, so what I've really gone through and pulled out is that we, you know, we talked about last week on the podcast, we talked about religion is what killed Jesus. It wasn't society. It wasn't the Roman government. It wasn't, you know, the community. It wasn't his family. It wasn't his friends. It wasn't the disciples. It wasn't anyone other than the religious leaders. And those are the ones that had him put to death. So I'm going to focus specifically on Pilate, who was the Roman governor of the time and the area, the region that they were in, and his responses to the religious leaders. Multiple times he says, I find no fault in this man. I don't find him guilty. I'm not going to kill him. If you guys want to kill him, then you take him and you kill him, but I'm washing my hands of this. So, guys, John chapter 19, well, let's go ahead and jump into this. We're reading from the Living Bible that we do each and every week here on Bible Bourbons and Brews. So I'm going to start in John chapter 19 and verse 4, and it it says, Pilate went outside again and said to the Jews, I am going to bring him out to you now, he being Jesus, but understand clearly that I find him not guilty. And in my Bible, which is the living Bible, the words not guilty is in italics because it's important. I find him not guilty. So that's one time that he says it. And then a couple verses later, it says, in the, at the sight of him, the chief priests and Jewish officials began yelling, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate again says, you crucify him. 
I find him not guilty. Again, it's italicized because of the importance of these words. You crucify him, Pilate said. I find him not guilty. So here we are. We're only six verses into John chapter 19. We've already got two examples, two times that he's telling the religious leaders, you guys have to put him to death. I find him not guilty. He hasn't broken any of our laws. And they were, and so they replied, they being the religious leaders and chief priests, said, by our laws, he ought to die because he called himself the son of God. In verse 8, it says, when Pilate heard this, he was more frightened than ever. He took Jesus back into the palace and again asked him, where are you from? But Jesus gave no answer. You won't talk to me, Pilate demanded. Don't you realize that I have the power to release you or to crucify you? Then Jesus said, You would have no power at all over me unless it were given to you from above. So those who brought me to you have the greater sin. So who brought Jesus to Pilate? It was the chief priests and the religious leaders. We talked about this last week in John chapter 18. The chief priests and religious leaders provided armed guards to go arrest Jesus. They provided them to Judas to go arrest Jesus and to capture Jesus. So again, here we are. It's not society. It's not the community. It's not the people that he was teaching. It wasn't the people from the church or anything like that, just the, the members of the church. It was the chief priests and the religious leaders. And again, in verse 6, it says, at the sight of him, him being Jesus, the chief priests and officials began yelling, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Guys, if that doesn't just lay it out right there, Pilate saying, I find no fault in this man. I find him not guilty whatsoever. Two times in six verses in this chapter. I mean, I don't know what else to say other than it's clear who is trying to kill Jesus. What do you think, Ryan? You know, I mean, at the end of the day, I think it's intolerance, right? And, you know, it's it's looking at each person and understanding that they have their own reason to believe what they believe, their own right to believe what they believe. And, you know, it, it, it's not unique to this time in history where people weren't tolerant of others having different beliefs. And sometimes change is very slow. Sometimes it's very quick and it's hard for people to adapt to. And I think, you know, if you want to compare it to modern life, I mean, look around at our intolerance right now. It may not be religious-based. It may be religious-based. Yep, but at absolutely. the end of the day, people aren't accepting of other people's opinions. Opinions, other people's struggles in life. Um, you know, yep. they don't ask questions of others. They don't wonder why. They're not curious, right? And, you know, it's funny. I I watched, um, there was a show on Apple TV called Ted Lotto, right? And it, it's, yeah. a weird, it's a weird show, you know, for the most part. But there was a really impactful part where, you know, this guy talked about how people have judged him his whole life and they've disrespected him and they've made fun of him. And, and he got to the point where he understood that they weren't judging him because they were never curious enough to ask him any questions. They were judging themselves through his actions, right? And right. so being curious about other people and accepting of their struggles and their um, opinions and why their opinions may be different might change the course of your life. And I think if you look you know, at the story you just talked about, you have religious leaders, right, who believe something different right or wrong, um, you know, and, and they don't think that anybody else is, is entitled to their different beliefs, you yeah. know? I mean, they, they, they ended up killing Jesus because they 
they weren't tolerant of anybody else having a different opinion, you know, than theirs, right? And, and like you said, they didn't ask any questions. Yeah. And we talked about in the beginning of the show, we talked about how you started this whole place so that we could just have a conversation. Yeah. If they, think about this, if they would have sat down and had a beer with Jesus, you know, if Jesus was here right now, I think he'd be having a beer with us because these are fantastic. <laughs> you know, if, if they would have sat down and had a beer with Jesus, had a conversation with Jesus, asked him, why do you believe the way that you believe, and at least even been open to it, I don't think they would have had this hard line, like you said, of intolerance. I mean, it just, you have to open up and have to have con- conversations and you have to not be so closed off because each person is going to have their own beliefs. Each person is going to have their own reality. You know, I, I heard this thing uh, a while ago, and it was like, the temperature of the room can be 72 degrees. I might sit in that room and feel that it is hot. I'm, I wear shorts and a t-shirt. I might even perspire, and in, in the room is 72 degrees. Somebody else might sit in that room, and they might feel that it's cold, and they might actually have a physical reaction to it, to where they go get a sweater or a sweatshirt or whatever it is and try to warm themselves up, but it doesn't change the reality that the room is 72 degrees. And so... Every, what I'm saying is, is like every person has their own reality that they experience, and it's like we have to be understanding of that, and we have to be tolerant of that, and we have to be accepting of that. And I think, like you said, they they were just intolerant. They just they they weren't able to accept like Jesus believed differently than they did. And then rather than just be loving and accepting, which was pretty much his, his message, they were just like, no, nope, crucify him, you yeah. know. And Pilate was like, I don't want any, I don't want any part of this. Well, and you're, and you're taking away someone's power, right? You know, and, yeah. and, and I think at the end of the day, you know, whether people want to admit it or not, you know, that's where a lot of their actions come from is maintaining your place in life, maintaining the power you've built and things of that sort, right? And some Absolutely. people, some people, money is power. Some yeah. people, you know, actual power is power, right? And the currency you negotiate in, you know, doesn't really matter. You know, you're either buying yourself the option to do what you want or you've created a a power system that you can do what you want and that's what everybody wants to do is they don't want to do what they want we're all selfish beings you right. know to some degree right yeah and whether it's rational selfishness or irrational it doesn't really matter you know people certainly want what they want when they want it and if you try to get in their way there will be some kind of conflict whether internal or external and you know this one just happened to be much more external than many absolutely Ryan thank you so much Mellow Fellow Pub is such an awesome place to hang out it's right across from the Aces Ballpark in Reno. Beautiful location. The weather is absolutely beautiful today. You guys have the roll-up garage door open with the couches and stuff sitting out there. You're incredibly knowledgeable about beer. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Uh, These beers were fantastic. Guys, make sure you check them out. Uh, If you're on Instagram, follow them at MellowFellowPub. Check out their website, MellowFellowPub.com. If you have questions for Ryan, if you want to tap into his brain and his expanse of beer knowledge, Reach out to him, Ryan, at MellowFellowPub.com. Guys, this is your host, Jason Candler, for Bible, Bourbons, and Brews. As we head into this next week, let's just have conversations with each other. Like Ryan said, let's have the conversation. He, he created this bar. He created this pub for us to come together and have beer and have good conversation like we just did today. So as we head into this next week, let's have conversations with each other. Let's have 
acceptance for each other, if we have different views or opinions. You know, this is an election year. I'm sure people are going to have talks about politics and stuff like that. And just be open and accepting. If somebody has beliefs or, or feelings or thoughts that are different from your own, everybody is experiencing their own reality. Ryan, thank you again so much. Mellow Fellow Pub, please be sure to check them out. These beers were phenomenal. Guys, it's your host, Jason Candler, for Bible Bourbons and Brews. Have a great week, everyone. God bless.